Good evening. This is Milton Rosenberg once again, and it is a great pleasure to welcome to the program the After a Sag players. Um, and I'll do that with a little quotation from Shakespeare, from Hamlet, in fact. Polonius says to Hamlet, the actors are come hither, my lord. Hamlet says, buzz, buzz. But Polonius says, the best actors in the world, either for tragedy, comedy, history, pastoral, pastoral, comical, historical, pastoral, tragical, historical, tragical, comical, historical, pastoral, scene indivitable, or poem unlimited. Seneca cannot be too heavy, nor Plautus too light. And here they are now. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. We have we have six veteran Chicago actors. They don't spend all they haven't spent all their careers in Chicago, Hollywood, New York, Chicago, Lord knows where else on the road. They are by quick naming, uh, Herb Graham, and Guy Burrell, and Connie Foster, and Tony Marcus, and Bernie Landis, and Maureen Steindler. At the mic at the moment are Graham and Burrell, who are about to favor us with a Bob and Ray scene. But first. Uh, a little bit about the After SAG players. After SAG players have been in business now, except that we don't charge any money for uh, our business, for something like, what is it, tw a dozen years? About 12, that, yes. 12 years. Yeah. We have done how many plays, guys? More than 40. More than 40. And um, in fact, I'm so glad you've mentioned that note because I do have a list of plays, and I'll just point out a few of them. Um, the Plot to Overthrow Christmas, that's a Norman Corwin epic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zero Hour, uh, The Lone Ranger, of course. What uh, what venerable group would not play uh, The Lone Ranger at least once? Uh, we've done a lot of Bob and Ray, lots of Bob and Ray. We're going to have some Bob and Ray shortly. Uh, absolutely. My client, Curly. My, yeah, thank you. My, my client, Curly, which, plug, is, plug. Which, is, which is a wonderful, whimsical story about a caterpillar that dances. But only to yes, sir. That's, that's my baby. That's another Corwin script, as I that's remember. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah, guy. Can you remember a few other uh, shows we did? Oh, we did. Uh, let's see. Uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. I remember Mama. Brave New World. That was that was. That was that's right. Linegan yeah. versus the Ants, which you directed. Wasn't that Corwin also? No. 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 Who was that? I, I don't know. Oh, you don't. Know. You don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mills probably knows. Undoubtedly. Now, in in doing these, you're working from. Uh, established radio s scripts, are you? Yes. Yeah. Just as later on, we're going to be hearing uh, some scenes from Dracula as adapted by Orson Welles. Right. In fact, we'll be hearing a little bit of Orson Welles also. Oh. We've just dug that up. Oh boy. <laughs> but we start with we start with Bob and Ray. I we love, do indeed. I love Bob and Ray See, when I, they were on. Say know, something. Some of the younger folks listening may not know who they were. Though I guess one never knew which one was Bob and which one was Ray. But one of them is still around, isn't he? Uh, I think that Bob, Bob is still Elliott. around. Yeah, Bob around, Elliott. I think, yeah. Heard well, sometimes on National Public Radio. Right, and Chris That's Elliott, right. his son, isn't it? Chris Elliott. Yes, he's Chris very Elliott. funny. He's very funny. Uh, they uh, got their thing together in 1946, Milt. Yeah. Uh, one of them was a disc jockey, the other a newscaster. And all they were both sudden, in radio in Boston, I think. They did, in Boston. Yeah. That's right. And some of the stuff, some of the early stuff, uh, I made a note of. Uh, they had a thing called One Fellow's Family, which was a spoof on one man's <laughs> family. They had a great Bob and Ray bird that was ever, uh, forever fighting guests over the great Bob and Ray popcorn bowl. And they had Smelly Davis, the great dead whale who traveled around the country on a flatbed train car. <laughs> and we have a scene now. <laughs> we do indeed. It was always dialogue between Bob and Ray. Always. They're playing the roles sometimes. Yeah, playing all So set this roles. one for us. What happens? 
Well, I think it'll be self-evident. All right. You know. uh, in fact, I'd, I'd like you to meet a great guest, an author, a traveler, a lecturer, adventurer, a bon vivant, a raconteur, a gourmet, a roué, and best of all, a great storyteller. We all know him by his dapper little trademark, his pencil-thin mustache. Would you please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Martin Lesseur. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What happened, Martin? You mean to my dapper little trademark? Yes. Well, I wasn't thinking when I shaved this morning and half my trademark went on the floor. <laughs> I see. I might add, ladies and gentlemen, that Martin has generously agreed to go through with his appearance on this program, although he has canceled all other public engagements until his mustache grows back. Well, my doctor tells me it'll grow back in about three or four weeks. I see. Now, uh, now Martin, Everyone is waiting, of course, for some of those stories that uh -huh. you're famous for, and only you can tell, which we all remember and love. Could we have one of them right now? Well, sure, Bob. Well, as you know, I, I started in this business when I was a cub reporter for the old St. Paul Ledger, Dispatch, Eagle, Tribune, Courier, Citizen, Beacon, Journal, Plain Dealer, Desert News, and Daily Item. Oh, yes, that was a famous merger, wasn't it? Yes. I remember reading about that at the time. And... I was in the city room one day, and I heard the phone ring. I no. heard the editor talking. Seems there was a man hanging from a ledge on the 15th floor of the Vaseline the building. The Vaseline building. Vaseline <laughs> building. So I said to the editor, I can go over there, and I can cover that well, story. Well, that would be a great big break for you as a journalist. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. So he said, sure, take public transportation and go on over there. Public transportation? Trolley car. Uh, oh. So I get over there in about... 20 minutes, and he's still hanging there. Yeah. There's a crowd of people there, and policemen and firemen with nets. So I asked them if anybody had tried to use humor on this fella. Tell him a few jokes. Get his mind off his problem. You know, talk him in. Well, weren't you known at that time for having a great sense of humor? Not particularly. Oh. But I asked if they would mind if I tried. They said, go right ahead. So I go over to the building, and there was no elevator. You mean you had to climb 15 flights? 15 floors. I get up there, and there's a policeman standing there outside the door. Now, I tell him I've been authorized to go in and talk to the man. Uh -huh. So he says... Go ahead. So I go in and go over to the window, and I said, uh, uh. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, what did you say to him? Uh, uh, Martin, maybe that'll come back to you later in the program. <laughs> I, uh, I remember when you were here not too long ago that you told us a great story about fishing. Oh, right? my, yes. <laughs> I was doing a 1,500-word article for a magazine on fishing in the North Atlantic. It's a cold, rigorous, tough life, isn't it? It's not for me. Anyway, it was in the middle of November. We were on a fishing smack, the Rita B, uh -huh. up off the Grand Banks of Nova Scotia. And they're pulling in all this cod, mackerel, haddock, and halibut. And I look over to starboard, and I see a submarine surface with a foreign insignia. Oh, was it wartime? No, no. Anyway, I turned to the captain and I said, uh, uh, Martin, we, we do have to move along. Do you, do you have a story that you know the ending to? Uh... Oh, yes. Yes, I wrote one down so I wouldn't forget it. <laughs> is, is that good? That's okay. good. That's good. Well, you see, it goes like this. Well, that's all right, but this is Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> this is Tuesday. <laughs>
Okay, okay. Uh, that's good, but what's the story leading up to that ending? Oh, uh, well, uh... uh Martin, I, uh, hope, uh, I hope the next time we invite you to our show, your memory and your mustache will both be improved. <laughs> Thanks, anyway. Master raconteur, Martin Lesseur. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful material. That's superbly done. Was it the two of you who did the... Uh, the Slow Talkers of America for us last time? We did. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. You remember that one? Uh, we don't have a, <laughs> that was a copy. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly WGN uh, and its auspices can furnish us that script. Something else we'll repeat on and off through the evening is a set of encouraging entrepreneurial modules, uh, commercials. Here's the first batch. <laughs> and with a number of veteran actors surrounding me and having just listened to that commercial, it occurs to me to give you a sort of a, a quiz question. What does that commercial have in common with what play of Shakespeare's? Dun, 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 uh, uh, well, remember the... <laughs> merchant, the merchant of Venice. <laughs> exactly. How did you know it was the Merchant of Venice? Jewelry. He speaks of the jewelry exchange. He doesn't pronounce jewelry, but says jewelry, as if it were J-E-W-R-Y. And where do we have a jewelry exchange in operation in Shakespeare? In the Merchant of Venice. That's right, and they cut your heart out too, don't they? Yes, they do. You all got to get closer to the microphone. They're waving at me. You're veteran actors. You should know. Get on the mic. Yes. All set. Now we go back to to Guy Burrell, who directed the Dracula that we're going to hear. Introduce the actors. Well, we have Tony Marcus, we have Connie Foss, we have Bernie Landis, and we have Herb Graham, and a piece of him. Tony. Tony, would you say something about yourself? A oh. piece of me. <laughs> That's also Shakespearean, too, isn't it? Merchant of Venice. Um, well, let's see. I just finished uh, doing uh, Gin Game, which was an interesting experience at the uh, Apple Tree Theater in Highland Park. And then prior to that, uh, we did uh, Inherit the Wind at the Northlight Theater. Which was your role? Uh, William Jennings Bryan. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would have been great. It was uh, it was an excellent production, I must say so mm -hmm. myself. And uh, we had a wonderful cast, and um, it it uh, it was directed extremely well by Jessica Thebus, whose uh, mother is Marianne Thebus, an actress quite uh, uh, popular in the Chicago area, and uh, she spent a lot of time in choreographing the um, ensemble. Uh, almost musically directing them, so that during the show, during the run of the play, there was always that sense of beat and timing and rhythm that the that the uh, ensemble never lost. Am I correctly re uh, informed that you began your career more or less uh, on a, a touring version of Mr. Roberts? I did yes. with Henry Fonda. Yes. Wow. Yes. 1948. And you've been at it ever since. I've been at it ever since. Uh, and yes. let's let's turn to uh, Connie Foster, who's also been here before, uh, as have a number of these people. Connie, what's the beginning of your career? The beginning was tap dance shoes at age five. My I missed mother, that one. My mother took me to Mount Pleasant, Iowa, and gave me uh -huh. tap shoes, and I got to tap dance, and it was wonderful. And uh, my first recital was was so cool because we were in these beautiful little costumes with sequins and. The audience was smiling, and we were smiling, and it was like my first adventure in the electricity of an audience. It was oh, wonderful. Okay. And since then, have you been able to top that? Well, I still tap. 
<laughs> so that's good. In fact, when we were, we were rehearsing for this show, we talked about having a Lux Radio commercial where there were a couple of tap dancers, so I brought my shoes, but it didn't quite work, did it? Hmm. No. You remember tap dancing on the radio. Fred Astaire used to do that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to... can do it. Yes, we yeah. actually can. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 but apart from your tap dancing, what else did you do? Well, the last show that we did was really fun. I got to play a 10-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it was called The Odyssey of Runyon Jones, and I played this little boy who was going to heaven to find his dog yeah. who had been killed in a car accident. And uh, so in heaven, I had to talk with Father Time and Mother Nature and we had a harpist on the on the program so part of the conversation was with this live harp player and it was a lovely little story mm-hmm. and i won't tell you if i found my dog yet or not norman corwin <laughs> yes a lot of corwin in yes. your yeah. 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 apparently he was one of the great writers oh, for radio brilliant. wasn't he yeah. brilliant and um, bernie landis yeah well i started my career uh 70 odd years ago when i was uh uh sitting under the piano my mother was a concert pianist and we used to have over at the house uh we had toscanini my mother would have fabulous parties she was the pro mister of chicago um music you mean the real toscanini came to your the house? real toscanini really yeah we had helen trouble we had we had all of the greats and i would sit under the piano mm-hmm. and uh, they would have me come out and sing by mere bis duchene each time and that got me going and i've been did you sing all of it in yiddish or did you, you i well, certainly yiddish. Do you remember the rest of it no by mir bist du schein by mir hast du fein by mir bist du teira wie geld now now i remember yeah now i remember uh <laughs> but from then on i didn't it, i didn't realize that i remembered it, 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 it it's it wonderful is. that you did no I, yeah. that's right <laughs> and uh, since then, it's uh, really been a, a, a wonderful life of, uh, of uh, survival. And I came to Chicago in uh, 1984, and in 1985 was instrumental in founding the Chicago Ray Shakespeare Company, which is now at Navy Pier. Yes, they've been on this program often as well. With, with Guy Burrell. Well, I was, we were in that first production. That was the first production, yeah, yeah that we did. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, the director, Barbara Gaines. Well, Barbara Gaines has been here often. That's right, all fact. the way through. And we heard earlier from Herb Graham as either Bob or Ray, but what about y- your real life? Well, I began as Herb, and uh, at about the age of eight, I began making cardboard microphones, mm-hmm. pretending that I, uh, after putting my hand in my ear, pretending that I was a radio announcer on NBC. You'll forgive me, but that was the that was the. Uh, Prize Plum at that time, NBC, with their wonderful sets of voices and their and Vic and Say and all their wonderful shows. <laughs> and then I uh, got into the Army and uh, got into AFN Berlin and Frankfurt. And following that, I began doing radio as an announcer. And then I went freelance and uh, did some, I think, prestigious accounts like United Airlines for four and a half years. Did uh, New Era Plus, which is a detergent. Craft the, these are commercials so that we're talking about. All now. commercials. Voiceover or on television as well? Uh, virtually all voiceover, but yeah. I did some on camera as well. Mm-hmm. A distinguished set of careers, or a set of distinguished careers. What keeps you all working for free for the Aftersag players? 
love. Love of hands. Yeah, no, love of each other. When we get together, even for the audition process, it's uh, we just love to be with one another. Just terrific. Milt, what keeps me in this thing is realizing I'm taking materials that have been not only time-honored and cherished by so many millions of people and am able to read those wonderful lines. I, it, it never stops being thrilling to me. Yeah. And we have so many fabulous voices on our committee. It's really, it's really exciting to work with so many talented people. Uh, the voices are a great, as voice yes. in, in their timber, are, yes. are of great interest. You all have fine voices. Mm. Well, I, uh, back in what, 59 or so, I, w I was doing a. Um, this is Guy Burrell, whose yes, life story we're so getting told. right now. <laughs> I was doing a uh, show back home in Toledo, Ohio. By, by the way, Bernie and I are yeah. both from Toledo. And uh, my girlfriend decided to marry somebody else. And I was in the show, and my sister-in-law, who lived in Chicago with my brother, said, said to me, have you ever thought of doing this business for real? I said, who would want to see me? He says, well, you seem really happy on stage. The audience seems to like you, and you're really miserable off stage. So, <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you? There's a theater school in Chicago, Goodman School of Drama. Mm -hmm. So I packed up my bags and I came here and went to school, and then went into the business. And 40 years later or so, I'm still doing it. Who uh, who still are working the, for nothing? <laughs> yeah, that started off that way. Now it's back to that. <laughs> who, who are some of the fellow students at the Goodman when you were there? Oh, Avery Schreiber was one. Uh, uh, Jerry Castillo, who was a very good oh, actor. Yeah. Uh, was Gene Chance in there? Gene was before me. Yeah. So we had uh, quite, quite a few distinguished colleagues that came out of this school yeah. at that time. Mm -hmm. At that time, they had a full-time night school. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, really full-time. <laughs> and uh, five nights a week. And on weekends, we never left that building hardly. Yeah. And so it was like, wow. <laughs> so I came out of there and mm -hmm. got in a couple of shows. And it, I was in one community theater show. and. They thought was going to Broadway. <laughs> they spent all this money on a community theater show, and I said to my, I think the third act is still going on. Uh, <laughs> I, I said, if I've got to do this, I'm going to make some money at it. So I went out and got a summer stock job, and from there we we went on. So I must now tell you what I'm really doing at the moment is vamping, mm -hmm. and I'm doing that because in a minute or two we've got to stop and do a quick newscast and some commercials, and I don't want to have to interrupt. The Dracula scene, so we're going to get to it a little bit later Did you on. Did say vamping or vampiring? Oh, well, well there you are. There's the connection. There's the further connection. Uh, what drew you to Dracula, in fact? Why did you? Well, I inherited it. Um, there was another fellow who was supposed to direct it, and mm -hmm. um, he decided uh, he didn't want to do it. And so they asked me to do it, and uh, Herb is my producer, and I didn't. Uh, and I'm the director, and it's a good story. It's an age-old story about the vampires, and there's all the religious connotations and the superstitions, and uh, it's, it's, you know, a lot of people think it's based on Vlad the Impaler, and to a certain extent it is, but it's not totally based on him. Uh, Bram Stoker didn't totally base the story on him. And we shall hear a scene from Dracula. We'll hear two scenes, in fact, more or less in a row right after we negotiate some other business. To begin with, an update on the news from Jim Goodis, some commercials, and then we return to the AFPRSAG players. And now the time has come. The opening scene, I gather, of Dracula. Well, it's about a third of the way in, Milt. Oh. Uh, it has to do with uh, 
Dr. Seward finding out that his fiance uh, is is ill, but he can't figure out why, and he calls for for Professor Van Helsing to come join him and, and find out what's wrong with mm -hmm. his his uh, his lady friend, and uh, unbeknownst to him, Dracula has been up to no good. He's been making nightly visits, and she's uh, ill because she has some puncture marks and things. He he doesn't believe in Dra in uh, in vampires, Dr. Seward initially. But anyway, that's pretty much it. And we, in doing this show, we're attempting to do it. We changed it around a little bit to make it chronologically uh, the, the flow and almost as a documentary. So um, with that said, we'll, we'll go ahead. And Tony, take it. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall now explain that six months before the events you have just heard, I had become engaged to a lovely young lady, Lucy Westenra. We were to be married next spring, but in early August she became unaccountably ill. Her condition grew so alarming, and since I was unable to diagnose it, I sent a telegram to my old teacher, Professor Van Helsing, urging him to come quickly. He arrived at four the next afternoon, and I took him at once to Lucy's house. She lay in her bed, asleep. She was ghastly, chalky, pale. The red had faded even from her lips and gums, and the bones of her face stood out. Professor Van Helsing shook his head. My dear friend, the young miss is bad, very bad. She must have blood or she will die. She's not anemic. The qualitative analysis of her blood is quite normal. It is strange. I do not like to think how strange. <sighs> look, my God, look at her throat. The black band she always wore dragged up a little and revealed a red mark on her throat, just over the external jugular vein were two punctures, not large, but not wholesome-looking. The edges were white and worn. Well, Professor, what is it? What's wrong with her? Speak frankly. You can tell me the worst. I wish I could, Seward. I wish I could. I don't dare. But I will tell you this. Your young lady is in danger greater than death. Believe me, if you leave her for one moment and harm befalls, you will not sleep easy thereafter. September 8th. I sat up all night with Lucy. Arthur, I am afraid. My dear, you can sleep tonight. I'll be here watching you. Nothing can happen, and I promise, at any sign of bad dreams, I will wake you at once. You will? Oh, will you really? Then, then I'll sleep. I sat all night by her bedside. She did not wake during the night. Although the boughs of a tree or a bat or something slapped almost angrily at the window pane, September 11th, Journal entry shows I received a message from the hospital in Perfleet. It read, 10.20 p.m., St. John's Hospital, case 891. Serious complications. Your immediate presence in London, imperative. What could I do? I had no choice. Sometime later, this paper was found among Lucy Westenrode's belongings. I write this and leave it to be seen so that no one may get into trouble because of me. I went to bed as usual taking care that the window was closed, as Dr. Von Helsing had ordered. About two in the morning, I awakened. Oh! 
I went to the door and called out, Arthur, Arthur. There was no answer. Oh! Something's broken the window. I'm in the room alone. I dare not go out. The house seems to be empty. The air is full of specks floating, circling in the draft from the window. The light burns blue, dim. What am I to do? Something very sweet and very bitter all around me. I feel like I'm sinking into deep water. There is a kind of singing in my ears. You shall be the flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. Ah, uh, uh, uh. September 12th, late. Only resolution and perhaps habit have let me make an entry line in my journal tonight. We found Lucy sprawled on the floor. Her throat was bare, showing two wounds which looked terribly, horribly white and mangled. We are too late, too late, my friend. We have failed. She's dying? Yes, she is dying. Stay here beside her. It will make much difference, mark me, whether she dies conscious or in her sleep. End of scene. Hmm. <laughs> and the evil Count Dracula was with us for only one life. Yes, Dracula is the presence in this in this version, but he's not on that much. Yeah. Uh, but his his presence is always there. Of course, in these things we have music and sound effects. Uh, the sound effects. The sound yeah. effects were, the, in this case, were supplied by. <laughs> we are using. We are due for another round of commercials, and I have a surprise for you, uh, namely the original. Orson Welles' Mercury Theatre production of this very play. You're using his script, I believe. Rearranged a little Rearranged bit. Rearranged a little. We'll hear just a minute or two of the opening. Sure. Uh, right after we pause for this. And I promised you, my friends from the Afrosag performers, uh, a touch of Orson Welles in the night. Uh, he, I think, did the adaptation, wrote the script. Yeah, in a very short time. For. Well, he was a genius. Yeah. Simply a genius, as we know. Yeah. When, he, when he was running the Mercury Theatre in New York, before he went to Hollywood, to do Citizen Kane, he was all of 23 or 24 23. years old. 23. This was the first yeah. uh, play of uh, the first radio program, the Mercury Theater. Before yeah. War of the Worlds. Was yeah, it? before War of the Worlds. Sure. Yeah. And here is just the opening okay. of his Dracula. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Arthur Seward. I'm here tonight to bear witness to the truth of certain events, which you may find it hard to believe, but I ask you to believe them. I have here certain documents, telegrams, clippings from the press of the day, memoranda, and letters in various hands. All needless matters have been eliminated, so that a history almost at variance with the possibilities of contemporary belief may stand forth as simple fact. I present you first with excerpts from the private journal of Jonathan Harker. I, Jonathan Harker, lawyer's clerk, article to Peter Hawkins, Esquire of Exeter, England, am writing this journal in the hope that if misfortune overtakes me, it may one day come to the eyes of those who love me. I set out from London on the last day of April to visit one of our clients in Eastern Europe. On May the 3rd, I arrived in Budapest and came after nightfall to Klausenburg on the borders of Transylvania. At Bistritz, 
There was a letter of welcome for me from our client, informing me that his carriage would await me at the Borgo Pass. It was signed, Dracula. Bukovina! Couch for Bukovina! But still, we seemed to fly over it with feverish haste. When it grew dark, there seemed to be some excitement among the passengers. They kept speaking to the driver and looking at me and urging him on to greater speed. The crazy coach rocked on its great leather string. The mountains seemed to come nearer to us on either side. Coachman! Coachman! What is it? Where are we? You are nearing your destination, young pair. This is the Borga Pass. There were black, rolling clouds overhead, and in the air the heavy, oppressive sense of thunder. Now, we were through the past. The young hair is not expected after all. You are early tonight, my friend. A calèche with four horses had drawn up beside us. Let me help you, sir. The coachman smiled, and the lamplight fell on a hard-looking mouth with very red lips and sharp-looking teeth as white as ivory. Well, that was only, terrific. That was like, wonderful. Only a touch of Dracula. Well, yes, yes. But Wells has played just about every role. He's played uh, Seward and Dracula, the two yeah, main ones he yeah. does. Um, what are actors really like? Listen to this quotation. If I were not an actor, I think I'd have gone mad. You have to have extra voltage, some extra temperament to reach certain heights. Art is a little bit larger than life. It's an exhilaration of life. And I think... Uh, that you probably need a little touch of madness. Famous actor said that. Who? Which one? Laurence Olivier. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Is it true? Yeah. Are you all a little bit mad? Yeah. <laughs> and a lot neurotic. <laughs> well, we we suspend the we su we suspend the 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 reality, and we become childlike in in the way that we. We approach it, and that's when the, the creative juices hit us, right? Yes. Yes, but too many of us become childish. <laughs> yes, isn't that the truth? Yes. One of the reasons I direct uh, sometimes is when, when you're the actor, you're the child. When you're the director, you're sort of the parent, so you mm. kind of get out of yourself a little bit that way. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's a very different view of actors, though. This is by a famous director. Can you guess who said this? When an actor comes to me and wants to discuss his character, I say, it's in the script. If he says, but what's my motivation? I say, your salary. Moss Hart. Yeah. Otto Preminger. Close, but... Moss Hart. No, not Moss Hart. This is why I give it away. He said that actors are cows. Oh, that's... Uh, that's <laughs> Psycho. Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, you go. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Right. Is it true that your motivation is your salary? No. No. No, no why not? Oh, we do so much uh, 
gratis work. Well, you're doing gratis you know, right now. Yeah, yeah. In, in our in our lifetime, we've done so much. Um, any anybody who calls, you know, you just rush to answer the call. It's um, volunteer work. It's uh, reading at at uh, at uh, church or temple. It's uh, helping out. Uh, um, people in a nursing home, uh, bringing something to them, a little bit of diversion, a little bit of... It's the reaching out. Yes. It, it is yeah, reaching yeah. out. Yeah. One way. Yeah. And someone getting out of yourself. Yeah. Too. And it's like Dracula needing a little blood. Yeah. You know, we just need a little fix every gotta, once in a while. Gotta, <laughs> tell, yeah. you, gotta oh. tell you a story which uh, gives the, the high in this business. I was doing Tevye in New York. And it was at the end when they're after the pogrom and they're leaving, and uh, we're getting our cart ready. And Tevya comes into the kitchen, and there is a Seidel with the baby and Muttle. And I go up to uh, Seidel and I pat her on her cheek to say goodbye, and the leg of the doll falls off, and bounces on the stage. There are about 3,000 people in the audience. There is a hush, and just before they start to giggle, something tells me and comes from the cosmos, and I say, forget the doll, get the baby. <laughs> great moment. Great that is a moment. great moment. And then 3,000 people rise to their feet uh -huh. and applaud. What, <laughs> this was, a, was this a Broadway production? No, no, it wasn't. What, what production? Was <laughs> this this one was. Uh, I did this off Broadway, and I also did this uh, uh, up at um, in uh, at Cortland, New York. Uh huh. Yeah. You'd make you'd make a good Tevye. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, we're going to do another scene from Dracula, but uh, I, I believe Maureen wants to add something. Oh, I just wanted to stick my two cents worth in here. I Good. think actors are great givers rather than takers, and they love to give their talent and themselves to others. And they're going to give more yeah. right now. Maureen's coming up later in Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House. But right now, another scene from Dracula. The director will set the tone. This is later on in the, in the play uh, when they are looking to destroy Dracula if they can find one of his caskets mm -hmm. that's been all over the place. And they're, they're searching for it. And uh, he has also visited, unbeknownst to them at the time, Mina Harker, who is also played by Connie. So, uh, and they're, they're figuring if they can get him before sunset, they can save her. So shall we have at it, folks? Van Helsing starts. My dear friends, until the sun sets tonight, Dracula must retain whatever form he now has. We have this day to hunt out all his lairs and sterilize them. Then he will have no choice to move to and hide. No place. But we have only until sunset. October 3rd, the house in Piccadilly was empty, but there was that same sickening smell in the air. The boxes are back here, but only 11. Only 11? There has to be a 12th box somewhere. Gentlemen, it is after six. The sun is setting. We have no time to lose. He will return any moment. Quickly, open the boxes. Wait, wait. Quiet. 
Listen. Listen, just outside. Yes, it is he. He's at the window. It's opening. You think you have left me without a place to rest. But I have others, and time is on my side. The one you love is mine already. My love. Already my mark is on her throat. Flesh of my flesh. Blood of my blood. She is with me always, whether on land or sea. He's gone. As quickly as he came. We must find that last remaining box. As long as there remains one place of refuge for Dracula, there is no safety or peace for any soul. And for the undead, never peace so long as he lives. Blood of my blood. Blood of my blood. Mia, how do you know that? Quiet, my friend, please. Let me. With me. With me always over land and sea. Mina, darling, did you know that Dracula said these very words? No, I, I didn't know. The words just came. There, there are times when somehow I feel I'm with him. At sunset? Yes, just as the sun sets. And again at sunrise. Ah, ha, ha. Mina, I must continue to question you, but under hypnosis. May I have your permission to hypnotize you? Please trust me. It is vital. Yes. Yes, please. Very well. Namine, follow my hand. Follow it with your eyes. Back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. Mina? Yes? Mina, answer me. Are you with him now? Yes, I am with him. Where are you? I don't know. It is all dark. What do you hear? Water. The lapping of water. I can hear it on the outside. Then you are on a ship? Yes. What else do you hear? There is the creaking of an anchor chain. What are you doing? I ask. What are you doing? All is so quiet. It is like death. Like death. October 6th. Here is a report from the Matson Peabody shipbrokers. It's dated October 5th. Yesterday, according to Lloyd's list, there is a ship sailing, the Tsarina Katrina, leaving London Harbor tonight. She's bound for the Black Sea and Varna. Along with other items on the cargo sheet, there is listed a large black box. Is it possible? Yes, it has to be. This may be our final opportunity. If we hurry, we may be able to get there before sundown. Quickly! Quickly! And off they go to to try to find him. Now, what's in the little, what's in the box? Dracula. That's Dracula. Mm -hmm. Sleeping. If they can find, but there are several boxes. His yeah. birth from yeah. uh, 
As a matter of fact, uh, due to time constraints and because of uh, we're doing Bob and Ray beforehand, we've shortened it a bit. Instead of chasing them all over Europe to kill them, we kill them in London Harbor. So for the purists that... But the Dracula that we all remember is the Bela Lugosi Dracula. Yeah, but we're trying not to do that. You're not, no. Your Dracula doesn't... He's a lovable Dracula. Doesn't do a Hungarian... Person. No, he doesn't do the whole thing. Or a, or a He's a Romanian genial action. gentleman, really. Well, he's, a, he's a lover. Connie <laughs> <laughs> yes. goes, give him your Dracula. Oh, your yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, you do Dracula also, yes. don't you? Let's hear your Dracula. Let's hear yours. Nope. The bridge is up. You must stay tonight. <laughs> As I told you, I learned that from uh, a wonderful guy, Bob Kennedy. Yes. Yes. Do your other one. Yeah. The other one was... Uh, the drink. I do not drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, we're trying to stay away from the melodrama to a certain extent this time around. We, yeah. we, the music and the sound effects will somewhat carry that, we believe. Mm -hmm. I hope. <laughs> you know, I should tell our listeners, uh, in anticipation of your coming tonight, we put up on our program blog, which you get to by going to miltsfile.com. It's always been there, all sorts of interesting items. But today we put up a special one, a website that I hunted for and found, which reproduces the openings of many of the classic uh, soap operas that came from Chicago oh, yeah. in the 30s, 40s, and even on into the 50s, I think. Yes. Uh, so Pepper Young's family and Just Plain Bill, Merton March, Just Plain Bill, they're all on there uh, with audio representing uh, recordings of the, op the standard opening of each of those. You can find that yeah. right now on our blog, miltsfile.com. Uh, just go to that, and it's the first item put up especially in anticipation of these fine actors coming to join us tonight. And we will return to these fine actors and more scenes and more talk about the theatrical life in Chicago after an update on the news from Veronica Carter. And we return to the after a SAG players or performers, as the case may be. Which do you prefer? I have players in mind, but it says performers on my my it should here. be the after-sag radio players. Radio players. Yep. That's just mm -hmm. great. Um, let's once again do a, a full free commercial for what's coming up. Well, what's coming up is an excerpt from Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream no, I mean, House. before that, what's coming up at the Claudia Cassidy Theater? Oh, Dracula. Well, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You're, the, you're the producer. Well, you're the director. <laughs> it's coming up next week, uh, September 5th at 7 o'clock. What day of the week is September 5th? Wednesday. Wednesday night seven. at 7 o'clock. Yes, and we've been drawing good crowds, so I'd suggest people get there early. Uh, Doors open at 6.30. 6.30, yeah. Mm -hmm. so that's a good and you will be doing the full Dracula, is that right? The full uh, Dracula with Bob and Ray in front mm -hmm. for, for about, what's that, three, four minutes. Yeah. So we just thought we'd get off to a little bit of a... Just as we're going start. to have another Bob and Ray before we go to the phones tonight. But now, on to... Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House. Was that originally just a, a novel or something? I believe yeah, it was, it was. A, a, a story. Yeah, it was, based on was it in Colliers or something like that? I don't that know. I'm and not then that it old. was a movie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> what can I say to that? <laughs> and then it was a movie with uh, Cary Grant and Myrna Love. Remember back yeah. in the late 40s? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. and, and uh, that's really what the script was I excerpted was. from, from that movie. And it was on Lux Radio Theater. Uh-huh. I think 
I think in the early 40s. I'm not quite sure of the date of that. Well, the, I believe it was the late 40s after the was war. Was it late? Yeah, yeah okay. I think so. Well, that's right. That would, that would make better sense because here was this couple living in Manhattan in a cracker box apartment. Every time they turned around, something else fell on them, and they decided they wanted their dream house. And that's what led to a whole string of mishaps, including tearing down the old place they bought originally and attempting to erect a brand new dwelling. And here's a scene uh, that shows Mrs. Planting specifying colors for that new house. Now, first of all, Mr. Paddleforth, living here, I want it to be a soft green. Uh-huh. Not a blue green like a robin's egg. Oh, no. And yet not as yellow as daffodil buds. Uh-huh. Now, the only sample I could get was a little too yellow. But don't let whoever does it go to the other extreme and get it too blue. No. It should be a sort of a, ooh, a sort of a grayish yellow green. Uh-huh. Now, the dining room, I'd like yellow. Not just yellow. A very gay yellow. Something bright and sunshiny. Uh-huh. I'll tell you what to do, Mr. Paddleford. Ask that man who's varnishing the floors to go down to the grocer and get a pound of their very best butter. And you just match that butter exactly, and you can't go wrong. Uh-huh. Now, here. Here's the wallpaper we're going to use in the hall. It's flowered, but I don't want the ceiling to match any of the colors of the flowers. No. No, there's some little dots in the background. See? Mm-hmm. Well, it's those little dots I want you to match, but not... <laughs> I don't want those greenish dots near the hollyhock leaves. Oh, no. No, I want those of these little bluish dots there between the rosebud and the delphinium blossom. Am I clear? Uh-huh. Uh, now, the kitchen. The kitchen will be white but not a cold, antiseptic, hospital white. No. I want something warmer. Mr. Paddleford, um, but still not to suggest something other than white. Now, for the powder room, I brought you a piece of thread, and I want you to match it exactly. And uh, please, don't lose it. I had an awful time finding it. And as you can see, the color of the thread is... Um, is, ah, uh, like a apple red. It's somewhere between a healthy wine sop and an unripened Jonathan. Uh-huh. Oh, oh my, look at the time. Oh, you'll have to excuse me now. I have to pick up a friend at the train station. I'll see you later. Hey, Charlie. Yeah, boss, it's okay. I've been listening. So you got everything? Sure, red, green, blue, yellow, and white. Check. <laughs> ah. Oh, wonderful. And what a superb performance by Maureen. Indeed. That was terrific, uh, Maureen. Maureen, we haven't talked about your career yet, but what, oh. what's the, the, the story? Well, it's a long story. I grew up in Canada, and I studied there, uh, and I was one of the founders of the Stratford Players. That's how old I am. And then I won a scholarship to Northwestern, so I came down to Northwestern where I uh, studied theater. But uh, I was a very arrogant young lady, and I thought I knew more than they did. So I dropped out of theater and went into uh, zoology. <laughs> Why not? <Yeah. laughs> Mostly because all of my friends were in 
medical students and uh -huh. they said, oh, you're too dumb to pass any of the classes we take. And you're just you're just in theater. And I thought, is that so? Well, I'll show you. So I got straight A's and all their their pre-med stuff. But, you know, I really wasn't interested in that. So I went mm -hmm. on and I got a degree uh, in literature. Well, of course, like all young ladies, I got married and I had three kids. So it was hard to keep up my career. But when I came back into the scene, I went to Second City and worked there for quite a while. And I got sick of that, and I went over to Hull House just as Bob Sickinger was coming to town. And as you well know, he started the whole avant-garde theater movement in Chicago. He was quite a genius and a very strange fellow. <laughs> Most geniuses are. My, 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 my dear departed husband used to call him Sick Bobinger instead of Bob Sickinger. So. <laughs> But then I kept, um, you know, trooping along ever since. I've done a lot of theater, and then I hurt my back and couldn't do theater anymore, so I've done a lot of commercials. And You also did a famous film directed oh, by... Robert Altman. By Robert Altman. Yes, I was in his uh, A Wedding. Which is set in a, a, nor a North Shore mansion someplace. Yes, the Armor Mansion. Yes. Uh -huh. and, uh, and your role was which one? The Housekeeper. And it was very exciting, and I thought, sure, I was going on to fame and fortune, and nothing happened. Anyway, it's hard to raise three kids and become anything better than what I am. Well, what you are is superb. I'd like to see and hear more of you on on the theater or on the radio. Thank you. We are due for. Uh, some commercials. No, no, which which of you has been a, a radio announcer? I have. He has. <clears throat> yeah. Give me a good radio, an old-fashioned radio announcer lead into the commercials. From WGN Radio, Milt's commercial. And we look forward to hearing from our listeners, which will, and we'll get around to them in about 10 minutes or thereabouts. We're opening the phone lines right now. Five nine one seven two double zero is, of course, the number where you can reach us, 591-7200. If you've got a question you want to raise about theater in Chicago, about radio performance, about voiceover recording of commercials, we're glad to hear from you. If you are of that community and want to tell us something about your own career and tell us, for that matter, about some of the people on this broadcast with whom you may well have worked uh, at one or another uh, recording date or on one or another play, give us a call. Anybody and everybody who wants to talk about theater and uh, broadcasting in Chicago, uh, as it was and as it still is. As it was because, I'm not going to ask you your ages, but there's nobody here under 50, I think. Uh, um, is that right? That's Connie true. might be Absolutely under 50. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Connie certainly may be. She, may, she certainly looks as if she <laughs> is way under 50. I once rate, was, Milt. I, I happened to be at one time. Under 50. Actually, I think I yeah. was too. Yeah. Five nine one seven two double zero is the number. But before we go do anything else, an old-time commercial. You said, Maureen, that since we ought to add this onto the. I think we ought to add it onto our last batch of commercials. What is it exactly? It's all about Lux toilet soap. Ah. You may be wondering why your favorite Lux toilet soap is often hard to get these days. The reason for this is the serious shortage of industrial fats and oils. Now, our domestic reproduction of these oils since the end of the war does not begin to make up for the amount we use to import from the Pacific. 
That's why it's important to keep on saving your used kitchen fats. Save every drop and turn them into your butcher. He will pay you four cents for every pound. American women did a superb job of fat uh, salvaging during the war, and now your government orders you to continue to save. Turn in used fat. Remember, with every pound you turn in, you help to prevent a really serious shortage of soap. So, ladies, remember to get your fat cans down to your groceries today. Now, what's the the provenance, as they say that? When was when was that done? That's a, that's a real commercial. World War Two. Yeah. You know, we really did serve fat, save fat. Uh huh. Maybe oh, yeah, you don't sure. remember, but I remember. What I'm still do? saving fat. What did but... we do? <laughs> Tapping her hip as she said that. What did we do with it? Oh, well, they turned it into soap. Uh-huh. Because they couldn't find the... They used to import all this stuff from the Pacific, and they couldn't do it anymore. The oils, you know, and the fats mm. that made soap out of. So they just used our animal fats. They also saved aluminum foil, I think. Oh, yeah, From I my did childhood, that. I could remember that. Yeah, yeah. I, I saved oh, yeah. Probably made airplanes out of that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky Strike Green has gone to war. Yes, explain. Well, uh, the Lucky Strike uh, cigarettes were uh, colored green with uh -huh. a round uh, target that said Lucky Strike. And then they, um, when the war began, they uh, eliminated the green color and that went into uh, olive drab uniforms and so oh, on, and yeah. camouflage, uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, the package was then white. Now then, we have one last performance coming up, and this is another Bob and Ray. Then we'll take care of a newscast and get on to the phones. 591-7200, the number. I see all but one line is taken at the moment. If you are trying to reach us and hit the busy signal, don't be discouraged. Just try again a little bit later on, especially when we say goodnight to a prior caller. And I should add, of course, particularly for our listeners on the Internet at some great distance, including our friends in Japan and Australia uh, and on mainland China, where it is midday and a number of people are listening to us. If you want to be in touch via email, that email address is, of course, extension720 at tribune.com. Extension720 at tribune, T-R-I-B-U-N-E dot com, or 591 7200. Take it away, Bob and or Ray. And now, Dining Out with Bob and Ray, the informative feature that helps guide you to some of the lesser known but truly outstanding gourmet restaurants around New York and the world. Bob, I believe that you had an opportunity this week to visit one of those little specialty places that our listeners are always searching for, but that seems so hard to find. That's right, Ray. And I know everyone will want, want to make a note of this one, the Far Rockaway House of Clam Chowder and Soda Crackers. Located, of course, in Far Rockaway. No, actually, it's in no. Yonkers. No. However, the owner told me that his ancestors came from Far Rockaway several generations ago. So he's retained the sound of temple bells and the smell of exotic spices and all the other bits of atmosphere that we associate with Far Rockaway. Well, I'll tell you, it makes my pulse quicken just to hear about it. And I assume the Far Rockaway House of Clam Chowder and Soda Crackers makes a specialty of serving clam chowder and soda crackers. In fact, that's all they do, sir. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. But like so many restaurants with a limited menu, the food is top quality. 
In fact, the owner told me his supplies flown in fresh every day from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Really? <laughs> now, I, I find that very interesting. I didn't even know you could get clams from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Well, it, it's not the clams that come from there, Ray. It's the soda crackers. Oh. You see, they're all stamped out by hand and baked in Cedar Rapids. But the old gentleman who makes them out there refused to spoil the taste by wrapping them in wax paper. So, of course, they have to be flown to Yonkers every day so they won't get soggy. Well, it sounds like a lot of effort is put into the job of bringing crackers to your table just as fresh as when they left the oven. Yes. They come in a basket under a little crocheted blanket uh -huh. with the salted ones on one side and the unsalted ones on the other. Is that so? I haven't seen any unsalted soda crackers since I was a boy. Well, I don't think I saw any even then. Ah. So it was a new taste treat for me. In fact, you know, there was only one thing about the far rockaway house of clam chowder and soda crackers that wasn't really top drawer. Oh, yes? The clam chowder. I think it came out of a can and it was served at room temperature. Well, I'm sure the delicious soda crackers more than made up for that. Yes, I skipped the chowder and filled up on crackers, <laughs> which I'd suggest our listeners do also. Well, thank you. Thank you for that suggestion. But now that'll have to do it until we both have time to search for more of those little-known but truly fine gourmet restaurants around town. You bet. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Superbly performed, but also wonderfully written. Weren't they great? They Bob were and terrific, yeah. yeah. Superb. Yes. They're one of their most famous skits, and you two, you, you two did it for us on a previous occasion, was the famous... Slow Talkers? Slow Talkers <laughs> yes. of America. We Maybe we should come to your show tomorrow night and do that <laughs> one. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, Slowly. One loves that. Uh, you could probably improvise a portion of it. The whole I don't no. <laughs> well, let's try. Oh, I bet you could. Yeah. All right, go ahead. I'll, I'll be the slow talker. Yeah. What? Where do I start? Well, you you, you introduced the guest who's the president. Well, of... you're the, the the introduction to no, the no, slow talker. No, 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 no. I'm the guest. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have uh, the president of the slow, slow talkers of America. Talkers of America. Yes, yes. American. Yes. Uh, could you elaborate on that, please? Well, we are yes a group uh -huh. of folks who uh, talk at slowly slow yeah pace oh very good uh, and try not to confuse listeners by. Are there many Speaking of you, uh, in, by any chance, in your group, Slow Talkers of America? Are, how many are there, by the way? We have, <laughs> at last count, uh, uh, yes, more than, huh? More than, more than, more 500, than five hundred, five hundred thousand, fifty. Fifty. Okay. Four <laughs> men. Yeah. And families. Oh, not women. Okay. All right. Mm. You get the idea. That was brilliant. That's good. That was a good improvisation. I thought. Okay, very close to it. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Um, we are um, going to take some phone calls. For that, you've got to get the headsets on quickly, and the um, volume knob. I should have added. Or, should instantly tell you is uh, below the table on your left, if you want to control the volume. 
So you can actually hear these callers. 591-7200. And here is the first call. Hello, you're on the air. Well, I think you have to remember that WGN was the seat of some of the great soap operas in the 30s and 40s. And I was a child actor on Mary Noble Backstage Wife and The Romance of Helen Trent. No, really. And my cousin, Blair Walliser, was the director and writer of most of those. He also was the first nighter who had a play every Friday night on WGN. Now, what's your name, sir? I am A.J. Wolf and a friend of yours. This is Rabbi Wolf? It is indeed. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I've, known, other, other, I've known Arnie Wolf for years. I never knew that you were a child actor. Well, I was, and I was also uh, on WBEZ when it started. We did dramatic programs for the schools in the 30s and 40s. And uh, we had people direct us like Norman Corwin, and uh, mm. we had famous actors from mostly from the old old movie days. And I think we had Orson Welles once, but I, I may be lying about that. This is a wonderful discovery. Do you folks know Rabbi Arnold Wolf? No. no. Well, he's the Rabbi Emeritus now at the leading congregation in Hyde Park. And uh, used to be the Hillel Rabbi at Yale, a distinguished uh, Jewish philosopher or theologian. But a child actor. But I never knew that about you, Arnold. I never knew that at well, all. Well, if you go back far enough, you find everything. <laughs> That's wonderful. But WGN was really very important. And uh, it wasn't just uh, music and news. It was a lot of uh, dramatic programs. So which, G, which of those came from WGN, actually? Mary Noble, Backstage Wife, The Romance of Helen Trent. We did a child's program called The Secret Three, which was an imitation, I think, of... Jack Armstrong, and it was sort of competitive with WMAQ and WENR, I guess it was called then. Now, when you came down to do those things at WGM, was that that was in this building, was it not? In it the was Tribune certainly Tower. when that building was new. Yeah, right. And Friday night, there was a huge crowd there for the, the uh, first nighter, and they would do full-length plays for an hour or mm -hmm. two every Friday night. Yes, the man would introduce himself as Mr. First Night. That's right, and that was my cousin, Blair Walliser. Who also wrote them, did you say? He wrote the soap operas and some of the children's programs, but the plays, I think, he imported. An incredible revelation. This well, is the discovery of the year. It, it was a great place, and I learned a lot from that. Did any of you sitting here work in any of those soaps? You're just a bit too young for that, I think. I did TV soaps. No. Yeah. No radio soaps. No. Mm -hmm. Russ Reed did, and Fern Persons among us. Uh, mm -hmm. He also worked in those. Harry, Francis Harry Elders. Elders. The, the movie actor Francis X. Bushman was one of the actors. Really? Who, who mm -hmm. certainly did WBEZ, and maybe he did some of mm -hmm. WGN also. And he wound up as father, what was his name in that, that weekly series by, I just forget it. Right, he did have a series. Yeah. Radio or, or television? Ra radio. Radio? By a famous radio writer who did two or three different running series. Do you remember any of that, Arnold? Vaguely, but I can't remember exactly. I do remember him. He, he taught me not to walk through the doors by, by coming a little too early before the sound effects. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for the call. Enjoyed it. An absolute delight. Your, your people are great. Thank you. And so are you, my, my friend. Thank you. Thanks very much again for the sure. call. 
That is truly a revelation. I've known this man hmm. for many, many years. He's been a guest on this program a number of times. He's an eminent theologian, actually, and a great leader of a congregation. And he had that background. I didn't know it. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I wonder what other significant figures in the world of letters or religion or politics were actors in Chicago on the radio back I, in the 1930s. I wonder if Rabbi Lappin ever was. Do you remember uh, Rabbi Lappin from uh, uh, Toward Tradition? They're based out in Seattle. I know That's that. right, yes. I've met him yeah. there, as a matter of yeah. fact. Yeah. And our six guests tonight are uh, Herb Graham, Guy Burrell, Connie Foster, Tony Marcus, uh, Bernie Landis, and Maureen Steindler. And you on the phones, 591-7200, and you are next on the air. Good evening. Hello, hello. Uh, this is Rick Kristenat here, and I uh, has, have had the honor of trying to find all these wonderful people work as a uh, casting uh, director and a television and uh, uh, with Holly Rakesti. And uh, I just want to say that it's a pleasure to hear these voices again. Uh, one of the best things is getting a hug from Bernie and a kiss from Maureen, and then, <laughs> and, and then uh, watching uh, watching Connie on television with her uh, five foot pet iguana, <laughs> which uh, was uh, just uh, one of the greatest uh, things I've seen on television in ages. How did he do, Connie? Did he have to? Uh, did he get paid? We're talking about my iguana. Your yeah. Iguana. Yeah. You see oh. that commercial? Was it a? Was it a? Uh, a bank commercial or something with your iguana? It was for the hospital, yes. Hospital. hospital. He, gets, he, got paid. he gets paid every day with all <laughs> kinds of lettuces and fruits, uh, and I clean his cage. He's a very well-paid iguana. <laughs> Here's a hug for you, Rick. Here's a hug, Bertie. You're wonderful. Well, I, you know what? I'm going to do my utmost to try to see you guys. I've missed you so much. So I'm going to do my utmost to see you on Wednesday night. So good luck and break a leg. Well, well thank, thank you. Thank you, sir, thank for the call. So thank you. And break a leg. Uh, five nine one seven two double zero. The number. On to the next caller. Hello, you're on the air. Well, good evening. And it was interesting that you were doing the, uh, you know, the uh, the time when they were trying to uh, come up with the last second when you decided to have them do the Bob and Ray just off the top of their head. Because if you remember back in the days of Monitor Radio, where Bob and Ray played a key role in that, one of their jobs was to actually sit in the studio in New York, and if there was a problem with the line or if they lost a segment or something went wrong, they had to immediately jump on the microphones and start doing a routine. They were essentially the backup for monitor radio. So in addition to the routines that they did, some of which you've heard tonight, they would actually have to be ready at a moment's notice to jump on and start doing some routine uh, if the line dropped uh, on monitor radio, if they lost a segment or something along those lines. And also, one of the shows that was mentioned earlier that came out of WGN, you know, Mary Noble Backstage Wife, one of Bob and Ray's most famous routines was Mary Backstage Noble Wife. <laughs> now, here's, <laughs> a, you remember that one, here's a little sure. quiz challenge for our listeners. You've actually heard this voice earlier tonight. Do you recognize it? You've heard this voice on this program earlier tonight. Does that clue you at all? No. This is Jim Goodis, our news oh, really? our newsman, who uh, started the program. Uh, then, then you drove home, have you, did you? I was driving home, and I heard the segment where you you had done the Bob and Ray routine, and then asked them to do the Slow Talkers of America, yeah. and, what, and it just reminded me of the fact that uh, they were often called upon at the last minute on Monitor Radio to uh, sort of be the uh, pinch hitters if something went wrong. So it was very yeah. reminiscent. And by the way, uh, your panelists tonight 
have really captured the essence of Bob and Ray. I'm a huge Bob and Ray fan, if you couldn't tell. And uh, you really, the, the, the routines that have been done tonight are, really do them justice. They've, they've been well, well done. And you've added a great deal uh, by way of further commentary. Jim, thank you very much. My pleasure. And uh, Jim actually has been with us all day long, not only uh, doing the first newscast, but earlier today, he and I and Zach Christensen had to pose for a photographer because they are putting together something I think called the WGN cookbook. Uh, <laughs> and we've, we've each contributed recipes to that cookbook, and uh, along with the recipes come pictures. So the the cast for W for Extension 720, rather, was the three of us. What did I contribute? Yes. Aunt Lizzie's recipe for potato pancakes. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And when the book appears, uh, anyone who buys it, probably the money will go to some worthy cause, uh, will get Aunt Lizzie's potato pancake recipe. And oh, a picture of wonderful. the three of us. And everyone, all the other programs are represented in the same way, of course. 591-7200, the number... On to the next caller. Hello, you're on the air. Yes, you just reminded me uh, of a program, a musical program, of, of soprano soloist Marion Somebody, and her husband led the orchestra. And I think they came on at Friday night, and that was an extremely popular uh, uh, program, musical. Here in Chicago, you mean? Yes, on the WGN. I'm surprised someone hasn't brought that up. I can't. Do you mean Friday? Would that possibly be Marion Claire doing the... Yes, that's it. <laughs> well, that's that was it. that operatus. Uh, yes. What yeah. did they call that? I, I thought it was something like Theater of the Air, but that wasn't exactly... No, I think it, it is something like that. Partner, what was her... Uh, was it Nelson Eddy? Who was she with? Well, I know it was Mary. Marion Claire and her husband led the orchestra. And uh, it was all beautiful music, semi-classical, and... and uh, I used to hear that as a kid yeah. in New York, and those broadcasts, uh, the Colonel McCormick yeah. Uh, yeah. appeared during the intermissions, giving rather lengthy yeah, right. was, uh, yeah, speeches on things. Yeah. Well, and and that was done from the old um, Shriners... Oh, the Masonic from Temple? The, from the Masonic Temple, oh. uh -huh. which is now uh, a department store. Yes, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Well, I'm 97, and uh, so there isn't Bless a program that I haven't heard on WGN, and I listen to it all day. It's on all the time mm. because I'm a shut-in at this point. So I enjoy it, and I love your program. I don't like some of the st uh, stuff that's coming on with the new manage management, but I certainly love you and the girls, and um, uh, I hope you never get off the air because to me it's like going to college and, and listening to... Uh, uh, Classes. I enjoy it. Oh, well, we thank you, ma'am, for the Don't call. Don't ever give up, Mel. I have no intention of giving up. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much. You bet. Good night. Five nine one seven two double zero is the number. We shall return, just like Douglas MacArthur, but right <laughs> after these commercials. Very good. And we return to the AfroSag radio players, and back to your calls to them on five nine one seventy two hundred. Good evening. Good evening, Bryce. Uh, uh, brief praise and kudos for the host. Uh, about two years ago, you did an appearance on the Twilight Zone as a Brooklyn uh, police officer when the department was disbanding. I was curious, how did you prepare for that? And I just want to say it was a very good job. Well, uh, I really don't remember the part. That series, you know, is produced here in Chicago, but it's uh, it's um, played around the country. Uh, but uh, for the WGN version, they take one lesser role and they cast somebody from the WGN talent group 
uh, in that role. So they gave me uh, the uh, the page or so with about seven or eight lines, and I read them, not quite knowing what the play was all about. But they're yeah. they're blended in. That's that, that still goes on, I think. Yes. Uh, every uh, sometime over the the weekend, late at night. Well, I didn't know it was you, so I guess that's a very good job. Uh, <laughs> well, well, if you didn't know it was me, how do you know it was me? Oh, they announced it at the end. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. What I've not revealed, really, at least not very often to our listeners, is that in my youth, I aspired to be at least an amateur actor. Yeah. Uh, I never really... Well, I was once paid a little bit for uh, an acting role, but as a as an undergrad, uh, as a high school boy at New Utrecht High School, and then at Brooklyn College, I performed, and uh, so there's a certain amount of hand in me, or you couldn't be a good talk show host. What was your favorite play? Uh, interestingly, uh, Robert Ardrey did something called Thunder Rock, which for a while was a very mm -hmm. successful play on Broadway. Mm -hmm. I forget the full detail of it, but. Um, I was a once dead but ghostly uh, returning Scottish sea captain. Oh, yeah. wonderful. And, wonderful. And we performed it actually in a revival someplace in Greenwich Village. For that, I got sort of equity apprentice wages for a few weeks. And that's the full, that's do, do the peak of my theatrical do career. Do you remember your Scottish butter? I wasn't very good at it even then. Uh, Not as good as my, uh, as my. Thank you, Lock. Yeah, what, 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 was, it, was he Romanian or Transylvanian? Or, he was a Transylvanian count, Dracula. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And we go back to the bones. Five nine one seven two double zero. Good evening. You're on the air. Good evening. I must say, what a delight it is to hear all these wonderful uh, Chicago actor voices on the radio. It's a real treat. Um, I myself am an actor in Chicago, and uh, I was curious. Now, do you cast these things? as a group of friends, or is there an open call for them? Yeah, um, how does how the After a SAG radio performers uh, or radio players work? There are some 60 or 70 of you, aren't there? Yes, there are several of us, and we all belong to either AFTRA, American Federation mm -hmm. of Television and Radio Artists, or SAG, Screen Actors Guild. So if you are a member of those two uh, unions, you can join the, the Seniors Committee, and what? If you're over 50. And if you're over 50, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Come on. Come on, um, what? I am an actor and SAG and an Actors Equity member, and I have also had the great privilege of working with Mr. Marcus. Uh, and uh, need to hear his voice. Tony, this is Mike Accardo. We did on Golden. Oh, Michael, yeah, yeah. You were the dentist. Yes, sir. How's the dental business doing? It's wonderful. Actually, <laughs> I'm on my way home from rehearsal right now, and I heard you guys on the radio. Oh, great. What have you been rehearsing great. tonight? We're rehearsing a new play that will be opening uh, the second week in September out at uh, the new Pheasant Run Theater, Noble Fool Theater's Midlife. The Crisis Musical. So I'm at midlife, but I can't be in your group. Well, no, you can. Keep as going. As, as a guest, you could. The be. day after you turn 50, you could apply. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Be Thanks very much for the call. You're welcome. Thank Good you. Good to you, Mike. 5917200 is the number. And there now are at last one or two lines available. If you've been trying to reach us, make another quick try. On 5917200, here is the next caller. Good evening. You are on the air. Good evening, Milton. How are you? Just fine, sir. Uh, I'm a very avid radio listener. I can't say that I remember the names of these particular 
actors uh, and actresses that you have there with you t tonight. But I listened to the radio from, I guess, 1930 until 1950 wow. every day. And I, at that time, I heard almost every program, dramatic program, soap opera, comedy that came on. And I, I remember hearing the first Lone Ranger broadcast. Mm -hmm. Oh, my. I don't remember uh, what year. I think it was 1933 or 35. Now, that one came, as I remember it, from Detroit, right? It did. Chicago. Yes. yes. Yeah. What radio station in Chicago did it broadcast over? I don't know. Oh, but I heard it every day. It was a started out as a 15-minute program. I think it was WXYZ in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and um, as a matter of fact, I listened to Extension 720 before Milton became the host. Yes, it was there for two or three years before I came to host. Yes, and uh, you first came on as a sub, uh, like intermittently, uh, one or two days a week, and then mm -hmm. soon you were on every day. Yeah. So, so, yeah. but uh, as a matter of fact, I still listen to radio now, uh, old time radio every day. Well, apparently you listen to this program as well, and we thank you, sir, for the call. Five nine one seven two double zero is the number. I have the, an email here I wanted to read to you, which says, a note to let you and your guests know that both my dog and I are, are enjoying the radio program tonight. You should see my dog listening to the sound effects and the various voices. She especially enjoyed the howling sounds. <laughs> that goes back to... Well, Do one for the dog, Ray. There it is. Oh, it The claw of the wild. You got a job. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the listener goes on to say, we are both paying special attention. I'm sure the dog sat up once again. I bet. Just now. Great, great talent for sure. A needed respite from the day's cares. Cool. I quite agree. Oh, nice. Uh, and we'll go back to the phones. On 591-7200. Good evening. Yes, good evening. I just tell you how much I enjoy your show. And I just want to give a howl to Tony Marcus. Uh, I was in Tony's class, or I think I was a year before him, and in the same uh, Actors Guild. Uh, Tony, it's Ed. Uh, we were in uh, uh, the uh, Arsenic and Old Age together. Arsenic and Old Age. Really? Yes. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and. Well, hold on a minute. Hold on. Now, what role did you play in that, sir? Uh, I was uh, the uncle. Uh, the, uh, the instead one of two aunts, uh, yeah. it was rewritten to, for two uncles. Oh, was it? I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we also, uh, uh, George Washington slept here. Now, is this Frank? No, this is Ed. Ed? Yeah, yeah Ed, Ed O'Shea, Tony. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh, St. Ignatius did wonders for you. And, of course, uh, he, uh, St. Ignatius uh, taught me to go to law school. I don't know. Which one of us was ahead there, Tony? But I think you are. <laughs> certainly ahead. Well, as long as we're here and we can enjoy each other. Yeah. And I, was yeah. I always enjoy you, too, in the plays when you're out at Drury Lane. Now, Tony, what did you do in Arsenic and Olays? I played Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, yes. Running up and down Charging up the stairs. Charging up the stairs. Great. But we had a great time. And just wanted to tell you, Milt, I, I enjoy your show. And uh, be there for years and years for us. Thank you, sir. Glad to have heard from you. Thank you, Ed. You're welcome. Good night. Thanks, Tom. And another call coming up on 591-7200. Good evening. Are you there? Hello? Yes, sir. Yeah, you hear me? 
uh, rather faintly, but please proceed. It's, it's now or never. Go ahead. I'm on a cell phone. I'm trying to get a trying to get some information on the Franklin McCormick that used to be on years ago. Well, Franklin McCormick was a major figure on this very radio station, but that was indeed years ago, wasn't it? Does anyone remember Franklin McCormick? Sure. sure. Before sure. my time. Oh, yeah. He used to read poetry beautifully. Uh, and, of course, he was um, a marvelous host, uh, a terrific uh, entrepreneur, entertainer, um, a wide knowledge of literature, and uh, he kind of enlightened and satisfied so many people with his renditions of, uh, of various poems. You know, somebody who picked up that mantle at this station and performed beautifully was Paul Rogers. Did any of you know Paul? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A, a, a wonderful voice. Yeah. Great but a great, voice. sensitive, decent man who also loved poetry and loved music. And he did an overnight program for many, yeah. many years playing music, reading poetry, uh, and he passed away only about two months ago. Oh. Uh, I talked with him. He was uh, retired out in Las Vegas. Oh. He's been in Las Vegas for the last yeah. six or seven years. And I spoke to him only about a week before his passing. Yeah. He had yeah. particularly got to somebody in town and had him contact me saying he wanted to talk with me. So oh, I wasn't nice. intruding. Yeah. And it yeah. was a, a lovely reunion, but of course, sad under the circumstances. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, but um, that was, as I say, just fairly recently. Uh, yeah. Much uh, much loved and much missed. Paul yeah. Rogers. We are just about out of time. It is time to once again make very clear where the Great. performance will take place and what will be available and so on. Any in and the, all can join in on in the doing second, that promotion. Second floor Claudia Cassidy Theater of the Chicago Cultural Center. That's that big... Uh, uh, tremendous looking bu uh, building on Michigan Avenue with entrances on Randolph and Washington. Place. Used to be the and this coming library, the public library, yeah. the main library. Yeah, that's right. Wednesday, September 5th. 7 p.m. I almost stumbled on that. <laughs> Wednesday, September 5th at 7 o'clock. Doors open at 6.30. Free! Come and get it. Oh! <laughs> Dogs all over town are sitting over there. <laughs> and this is the night when we're having an eclipse shortly, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So Five o'clock in the morning. Five in the morning. Yeah. You should, you should back be, into the cafe. <laughs> you should be out there on the lawn <laughs> at five in the morning. <laughs> and if you play it right, people will think that you're howling. Did that to the moon. Yeah. It's a howling success. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ah, my friends, thank you so much. Thank uh, you, Milton. Again, our guests have been to give their full names if only once and quickly uh, Herb Graham, Guy Burrell, Connie Foster, Tony Marcus, Bernie Landis and Maureen Steindler.